The human mind is a story processor, not a logic processor. And so mm. that basic part of being a human, and we're all born to tell stories, but we think when we persuade sometimes that the data or the facts or the numbers or the logic will persuade people, but really it's, it's storytelling. And we apply that in, in advertising when we're building a brand story. It's about emotionally connecting with the audience. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own, and you just heard from Jason Harris. This episode is all about the end of the transactional mindset for business. Jason Harris is the co-founder and CEO of award-winning creative advertising agency Mechanism. He's the co-founder of the Creative Alliance and author of the national bestseller, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Harris works closely with brands through a blend of creativity and performance. He calls this approach soul plus science, working with iconic brands like Peloton, Ben & Jerry's, Jose Cuervo, Alaska Airlines, Charles Schwab, and OkCupid, among others. So what we get into in this episode is really the art of storytelling and the art of persuasion, what he calls soulful persuasion. That's a mouthful. But really what it is, is long-term brand building with your target customer. Rather than just focusing on these short-term transactional sales, which maybe you'd think would be the default in scaling a business to the size that some of his clients have, it's really about long-term thinking. How do you continue to pour in and invest in nurturing your target customer to eventually persuade them to wanna work with you? So there's a hint of marketing throughout this whole thing, but really we're talking about human psyche, persuasion, storytelling. So dig in, take a listen, and see how it applies to your business. Welcome back to Organized Chaos. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio, and today I'm here with Jason Harris. What's up, Jason? What's up? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So going through your content, your book, your background, there seems to be this common thread of storytelling and the power of storytelling. And so talking to you for the first time, where should we begin your story? Uh, my story? Well, I came out of the womb. Uh, <laughs> I was a, a June baby. And, uh, yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Virginia, rural Virginia, and I was, uh, a son of two teachers. So I grew up in a very, um, kind of, uh, academic household. And, uh, I, um, they, you know, my parents kind of experienced things through, uh, storytelling and books. Like that's how they viewed the world. They were, they were avid readers. And I was more of a tactical kind of experienced person. So I had to go out and see things and travel. And I was very different than the environment. I was kind of like, I think when you grow up in, in environments, you either are, you rebel against the environment you grew up in, or you become a reflection of the environment you grew up in. I went like the other way and I was just like, always, always moved around. I moved out of the house when I was, um, 16, uh, lived in Florida when I was 16 and 17. 
just kind of always was out there getting my hands dirty, trying to figure out things that I was into and what I liked, which provided a lot of stories. So my stories were kind of like life experiences and my parents' uh, vision of stories was, was reading stories and learning from other people's experiences. So your parents were, were academic and they were observers. They read stories and you seem to be like creating stories, creating experiences, collecting life experience. And so how did you shift from collecting all of that to actually using it to, 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 you know, to storytell yourself? When, it, when did that shift happen? When did you become like a, a creator? Ever since I was probably you know, 13 or 14, I knew, you know, I think a lot of people, their careers or their life stories sort of happened to them. They kind of um, either through what they studied or maybe possibly in their family or friends or mentors, they sort of end up in, in on a certain career path. For me, ever since I was a kid, I knew I wanted to go into the advertising business. And so I started a advertising agency about 17 years ago called Mechanism. And I would, as a kid, I would watch the commercials in between the shows I was watching and I was always enthralled by them. Like whether it was like Mikey likes it or Lego my ego or, you know, the Kool-Aid man who always busted through the walls. And I was always kind of enamored by, you know, oh, that's somebody's job to come up with those characters, build that brand story, and then try to sell the service or product to the audience. And I, I, I analyzed them even as a younger kid. Did that appeal to me? Why did I like that? What were they thinking? And so I kind of knew early on, like, oh, that's cool. I want to make, that's what I want to do for a living because I, I really enjoy dissecting it, um, which is strange for, you know, a preteen or a teenager. And so I just, that's how I, I got into storytelling really through the love of advertising. And I always knew I was going to start a, an agency and that's, that was my path. Um, and so, um, through brand storytelling, I got into storytelling. I ended up writing a book because I feel, I feel like as an entrepreneur, I learned so much, uh, about leadership and how to build a company and what to do and what not to do that I thought it would be useful. Uh, for me to, you know, create a, a kind of a playbook um, on how to do that. So that's what the soulful art of persuasion became. So what, how would you define soulful, soulful persuasion? So I think um, soulful persuasion to me is really about uh, character. It's about build. It's about your, all of us are selling every day of our lives we're selling we're persuading whether it's you know for you and trent who you're going to get on the podcast or you know for your business how to you know ex you know tell people that you know they they need um train you all you know and and why that's useful or to sell organized chaos whatever it might be we're all selling or someone that works for someone they're trying to persuade that they need a promotion. Maybe you're persuading a significant other that you want to go on this vacation versus that vacation. So we're always doing that all day long. And the idea was to take the, the negative power out of the word persuasion, which I think people 
it has a stigma of pulling one over or getting someone to agree to something that it, they don't want to do. And the soulful piece is when you're doing it from a um, empathetics uh, place and you're trying to think about the other person's interest as well as your own, and you've proven that you have um, a good character and you're a, a person that people can trust, then you can do that. You can persuade in a soulful way. And I think that's, as a business, what I try to do as an advertising person and I also try to do that in my personal life. And so I've, there's four principles that I've found effective to become a soulful persuader versus maybe a transactional persuader or someone that's just trying to close a deal. So I want to get into the four principles, but you've got me thinking about, you know, persuasion and influence. And you're right. There is kind of this negative connotation when you think of somebody being persuasive. It's kind of like a like slimy or something like they're trying to talk you into something bad. I remember taking a maybe it's like a disc profile or something when I had the really high influence and it had me in the wheel as like an influencer persuader type person. And and. I remember thinking, is that a bad thing? Is that like, should I be ashamed of that? Or, or is that Hell like no. a communication? That's, that's where you want to be. Know? That's where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. You want to be able to influence people. Okay. So, so talk us through the principles then, because these are, these are from the book. So people, if, if they haven't read the book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, definitely check the book out. But the cliff notes, these, the four principles, what are they? Yeah. So they're really found, four foundational principles. And then I have a bunch of uh, habits underneath those principles that people can learn and, and ways to practice uh, these principles. And I've really learned these through starting a business and trial and error. And some of these principles, Chris, you might have been born with some of these. And then some of them you might have to learn. And, and you know, things become habitual when you practice them over time. But the first foundational principle of civil persuasion is, is this idea of being original. And it's really be yourself. Everyone else is already taken, you know, really putting your idiosyncrasies out there, knowing who your role models are, what inspires you, what makes you unique, defining your core values. Part of it's learning to be a great storyteller on your life experiences and your point of view. And, and that to me is like the found, that's like the basement level. Like you have to figure out who you are, be yourself that develops good character that makes you more persuasive people react to that and that that's sort of the the first principle so a lot of people uh, you know you you get it's easier to have when you're older but it's a great thing to have as you're coming out of school or starting a career but to really define your values and who you are the second principle is about being generous and it's this idea of giving something away at every interaction whenever you pop uh, cross paths with someone trying to leave them a little bit better off than they were and giving things away can mean your time, your advice, your connections. Maybe it's a gift, but it is trying to have a generous spirit. And for me, for example, this principle, I was not born as a generous person. I had to develop this over time. And when I started a business, I would hoard my connections. I would not connect, I, you know, being a connector is, is very influential. And I would hoard my connections because I thought that it was a zero sum game. If my business is doing well, 
and their business goes down a little versus like we can all prosper and connecting people and giving advice to people in your similar industry or outside your industry is really valuable. And it, it, it comes back to you in, in really magical ways with a lot of, um, additional reciprocal value that you don't really know how to measure, but you know that it happens. And that that's part of being a soulful, persuasive person. So that's a principle I had to learn. Uh, third one is empathetic, which is really thinking about commonalities, not differences, seeking out common ground with people versus approaching uh, everyone as very different than who, than you are, because we're all, 99.9% the same DNA. You know, there's 0.1% that separates each of us, but we always focus on that 0.1%. And we think about the different values they have or how they were brought up or how they, they see the world different than, than, than we do. And so being empathetic, seeing commonalities, making it about the other person, collaborating as much as possible. That's the core of, of, principle three. And then the final one is soulful, which is striving to be inspirational in your life by finding something that you can do to make the world a better place with whatever skills you have. But it's about when you do that and you, and you give back, you become more inspirational, you become more persuasive and people will, will be more influenced by you. Uh, so yeah, those are that. That's like a 300-page book in in three minutes. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> three minutes. So I'm gonna play this back. Uh, be original. All about finding your voice. You know, when uh, when you said that, I think about how uh, it's, it's, I don't know if you've ever watched one of those shows like American Idol or X Factor or something. Like one of the, the of things that they say is like people often copy other artists and they don't sound like themselves until finally they have that like breakthrough moment where they finally sound like themselves and they've, they become like their, their own artist. That's what I was thinking as, as you were saying that. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of professionals to get to that point where they don't feel, they feel like they can be themselves and they don't have to just copy others. So that's a, a strong one. Um, being generous. I know people a lot of times want to give, you know, say that, Oh, I'll do that at the end of my career. But it <laughs> sounds like this is something that you're constantly doing and, and, and the, the reciprocity is there. Uh, empathy and, and finding common ground, collaborating, and then the soulfulness, just making an impact because that example that you set continues to perpetuate your influence. Uh, and I, I, so I, I think those are really strong. If, if someone has these four things, if they have these building blocks, does that mean they're a great storyteller? Does that mean they're persuasive or do they have to like rehearse their ability to communicate or, or, or connect with people? Well, I think storytelling is really just, uh, one factor of, the soulful persuasion piece. Um, really, I, I put storytelling in that principle of being original and it's foundational to be a good storyteller because part of being a good storyteller is being persuasive, but you have to, to tell stories. You have to know who you are, what your values are, what, you know, what's your favorite book, what's your favorite band, what's your favorite movie, why that touched you, what were turning points in your life. Um, 
you know, the, what your interests are, all those things are kind of wrapped up into storytelling. And I think storytelling can absolutely be a learned skill. I think it's not like you, you are good at it or you're not. I think learning to be a great storyteller is about, um, trying to transport people through your narrative and you can write stories down. You can, you know, you don't just go through life and things happen to you and you kind of don't think about them. When important things happen, write them down. Why were they important? Why is this a parable or an analogy or something that you can use in when you're trying to create or make a point in, in any instance? And so I think it can certainly be a long, a, a learned skill. And there's, um, a famous psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, who says, uh, the human mind is a story processor, not a logic processor. And so mm. that basic part of being a human and we're all born to tell stories, but we think when we persuade sometimes that the data or the facts or the numbers or the logic will persuade people, but really it's, it's storytelling. And we apply that in, in advertising when we're building a brand story. It's about emotionally connecting with the audience. It's about storytelling versus, you know, gigahertz speed and, you know, how, how, you know, how wide the screen is or whatever it is. It's about why, why we made this product, why it stands out, why it's differentiated. And people are the same way. Um, but storytelling is a really critical ability to become a persuasive person. I could tell you that after this podcast comes out, that right there is going to be one of the sound bites. So I appreciate that because I, I do think it's not it's not the bells and whistles, the features, the stats, the data. It's it it is the story. It's the stuff that we connect with as people that's carried for thousands of years, right? So you you say that this is teachable. I know I've had to work with some of our emerging leaders at my company to say, you know, management, people management. It's not just checking the box and sitting down and doing one on ones. There's an element of motivation, persuasion, storytelling that you have to get good at as you're growing as a leader. So how could someone that's a, a, a new leader really work on this? I mean, I think, sto- I, think, I think you have to, you know, if you know your values and you know important things that have happened, capture those, write those down. Think about influences you've had think about role models think about writers that you've loved quotes that you love and dissect how those why that quote was important to you at a certain time in your life and create a story around that talk about a story from your favorite movie but don't just say well this is my favorite movie why did that touch you because you were a kid when you saw it and it made you feel a certain way or connected you to this emotion in some way. But really think about, and I, I draw a lot from role models, people that I follow or that are important to me. I think about why I love those role models. And then I dive into their story and then I can tell a story. It doesn't have to be just your stories from your own life. It can be famous stories from pop culture or iconic stories from role models. But really think about stories and how to tell them and and how to connect with other people. And if you have, if you become a storyteller and you have a bag of stories, you'll be able to pull one out when the time's right. But it takes effort. You know, people that you see do this, they've actually worked on it. 
you know, and anyone can work on it. Anyone listening can become a, an amazing storyteller. Do you think brands and companies can be storytellers or is it the people in those companies? And I guess the, the step two of this question is, is it the brand social media account that's putting out content or is it the people at the business? What do you recommend? Well, I think it's the, it's the people running the business that create the stories for the brand. But those people running the business should be creating stories that are core to the brand. Why did the brand start in the first place? Why does it exist? How is it different? Why do people need this brand or product or service? And from there, you're, you're trying to find a truth. And when you find a truth, then that core truth really shouldn't change. You know, when you land on it, it should be in the brand DNA. And then you can tell stories that connect to that truth. And you can tell a lot of different stories around it, but it should always come back to the same idea. And that's how you, that's how you build great brands in the world is, you know, what, you know, we don't love advertising. Like as consumers, you're not, you're not, you know, dying for the pop-up before your video, you know, that you want to watch comes up or the stuff that you scroll past when you're trying to read something online. You know, we don't love advertising, but we love great brands and great brands mm -hmm. should always be centered around a consistent story and a consistent truth. And you can create stories around that truth and tell it in different ways. But they, the story and the truth shouldn't change, you know, every year. That's what happens with a lot of brands is that aren't great brands is it's the people. So a new marketing team will come in and they'll throw away whatever story has been told before them and create a new story. And then they'll stay for a couple of years or a year. New people will come in, throw that story away and create a new story. Those are inconsistent brands that are not successful. What brand do you think has been most consistent in telling the same story for as long as you can remember? Um, well, there's a lot. I mean, uh, an easy one is top of mind. An uh, easy one is Disney. You know, you okay. know, you know what, when you close your eyes, you know what, there's one thing Disney stands for. It's magic. Like, you know, right away what Disney stands for. And they take great pains to always stand for magic. Um, mm -hmm. you know, BMW's had the same tagline for like 50 years. The ultimate driving machine hasn't yep. changed. You know what they stand for. They set high standards. They're consistent with their story. The North Face is another brand I love. You know, when you, when you close your eyes and think about the North Face brand, you think about exploration. You know, that's what you think about. You think about being, uh, being outside. They make great products for when you need them in that environment. They're not changing their story, you know, season to yeah. season. Like those. Yeah. Those are just a couple examples off the top of my head, but those brands are great brands and you know, they're consistent and you know what they stand for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The great yeah. examples. All right. So let's change gears a little bit. When you're storytelling, when you're focused on this, you're kind of crafting this long arc to build a relationship with your customer, to build a brand rather than a very short term transactional, you know, churn and burn mindset. Do you think that, 
you should be doing both in business? Is it, is it, you know, long uh, transactional and long tail or, or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? That's a, that's a great question. And it's very insightful. Actually, you need to be doing both at, you know, at the same time, you need to be doing both. You need to have the big emotional brand push that is your higher purpose, your higher story. Like you need to be telling that. At the same time, you need to be down here, like converting and making sales and keeping shareholders happy and making quarterly gains. And those two things should feel similar. Like it should feel like it's from the same voice, but you can't really um, try to do both at the same time. You know, I mean, no, you can do Mm -hmm. both at the same time, but you have to do both in different channels and in different ways, but it's still the same brand voice. So I'll give everyone that's listening just like a peek behind the curtain. Uh, In our one of our board meetings a a couple years ago, we asked our board, how much should we be investing in brand activities, you know, like endorsements and just fun brand campaigns and sponsoring things that are for, for impressions versus like direct response. We're hoping that people sign up. And I'm curious your take on that. You know, if you had to put a split for a company, how they're going to allocate their budget, what do you put towards, you know, acquisition versus awareness or long-term gain? What size company would would you say? Oh, good question. Um, I don't know, company with like uh, 100 people. That's what we are. Oh, okay. Um, And now, you know, is it B2B? Like there's a million questions. There's so many questions. There's so many questions, but yeah, yeah, if there's, if there's a budget, um, I would, I would err probably on, uh, you know, 40% brand, 60% like, you know, making the donuts, you know, like getting getting the right answer. I just wanted to see what you'd say, because I think it's an important question for everyone listening to think about, like, how much are they allocating toward these like long tail activities? And I bet it's not enough. It's probably not enough, but those in the long run, you know, you need those transactional campaigns to drive the numbers and get the revenue. It's all about revenue. You know, you know, winning solves everything. If you're driving revenue and you're bringing in money, then you have a lot of choices. If you're not, then you don't have a lot of choices. But you can't forget long-term brand value. And you can't forget making your brand famous ultimately is going to be a big payoff. Uh, and if you're just looking at transactional sales and not long-term brand value, then you're also not going to stick around. Because yeah. eventually you'll run out of customers and you know, you can't get the audience wide enough. Right, right. Yeah. I, I know you know uh, Gary V as well, but he told me uh, brand is the only differentiator. You know, you can kind of do anything is the same as people, but brand is a huge differentiator. You agree with that? Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. As we start to to tie this one up here, last thing I want to touch on is the constant transactional short-term nature in a business can be really stressful. And when you widen your aperture and you focus on story and you focus on authenticity and you focus on, you know, originality, I think it's less stressful 
on on the, the on a on a person trying to just always be going 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 make their numbers. I I like the long term approach. Do you think it has a benefit to mental health in the workplace? Yeah. So we're talking about um, individuals versus brand, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I think. Um, I mean, part of, I, I talk about this in the book about playing the long game when you're building a business and when you're working and playing the long game is not, is not just, it's going beyond transactional thinking and it's going beyond, did I make that sale? Did I do a pitch and it didn't work? You know, it's not binary. I look at, I look at in my business, I look at every pitch and every client and every current client. It's all part of the network. It's all part of playing the long game. It's all about nurturing relationships. And when you lose something and you think, oh, the transaction's dead, it's over. I got to move on to the next one. I think you need to start playing the long game and thinking about, well, that's a contact that I made. That's a connection that I made. I'm going to nurture that. And it might come, that contact might come back to me in terms of monetary gain or they might refer me to somebody else, but it will come back to you. And so you have to take the long view, not the month to month view, which you also have to think about, but you have to think about, uh, it's all about building your network. It's all about relationships. It's not just yes or no and move on. And I think, yeah. think switching into that long game mentality has a lot of benefits. Yeah, well said. I think that long game concept is something that is so important because in business, you know, you, we we show up every day uh, with so much pressure to deliver a client project or or ship this thing or hire this person, and and when those things don't go well, uh, it's easy to get down on yourself. But when you zoom out and think about the long game of those experiences and those lessons, and like you said earlier. Any one of those failures can be an experience that gets flipped, a, a parable that is a story that you then share That's and start true. to build influence. And and uh, and it's that compounding effect, I think, that makes us persuasive and, and successful in the long run. I love that. I, I also think a compounding effect is right. I also think of like whenever you whenever you get a no, I always think about it as a as a no for now, but not mm. a no, not a no forever. And I think about that mentality, it makes you pitch differently. It makes you approach things differently. Ultimately, I think it's a more persuasive mindset. Um, and also things do take time. You know, you're, you're always thinking like, for, you know, day to day, pitch to pitch, sale to sale, but things do, do accumulate and they do take time. And I think it's that mental strength to, uh, think about the, the long game and, that it is a, it's not a no forever. It's a no for now. And how are you going to, how are you going to nurture that in the future? No for now. That's a great way to put it. So, all right, Jason, uh, before I give you the final word here, I want to remind people to uh, check out your book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Check that out. Uh, where can they find you online if they want to connect? Uh, well, my, my uh, website is thesoulfulart.com. And you can find me at Jason underscore Harris on all the, the old networks. All right. And biggest lesson or takeaway that you want to leave people with? 
I have two mantras that I always think about. One is um, be true to yourself. Always think about that whenever you're at work or creating a business, but always try to stick true to, to who you are. And the second is uh, there's no growth in comfort. So always mm-hmm. think about pushing yourself and be uncomfortable. And that's going to really help your you know, personal life, but also in your business life. All right, Jason Harris, I love it. Thank you again. Great throwback to that first principle on being original, being yourself, because I really do think that is the origin of all great stories. So thank you so much for sharing these lessons with us today. And we'll catch you next time on Organized Chaos. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.